It is the YouTube and podcast homes for BamaOnline.com. It is Thursday night, so of course, it is time for Thursday Night Tide. This time in advance of the Alabama Crimson Tide's upcoming matchup with the Texas A&M Aggies in College Station, Saturday afternoon, 2.30 kickoff on CBS. And alongside me this evening, once again, Clint Lamb checking in first, and then we'll be joined by Jimmy Stein coming up in about 25 minutes or so as well. Uh, and we've got you covered for the next hour. We're going to have plenty of Alabama A&M talk. You ready to do it, Clint? You ready to you ready to talk about what seems like another game involving Alabama where the other side is just immensely confident? I mean, this has become a regular thing, hasn't it, over the last season, season and a half? It just seems like these teams are it's almost uh, – Overly confident, I would say. Yeah, in the uh, 2021 SEC Championship between Alabama and Georgia, that was one of the first times where Alabama was playing in a game where most people, a lot of people, felt like Alabama was actually the underdog. Um, and we all saw how that turned out. Georgia in the rematch obviously wins the national championship. Uh, that's obviously, you know, uh, that's going to happen in rematches. It's a lot tougher to beat a team twice. but it feels like that was kind of the moment where, you know, the, all that week. And I remember being excited about the opportunity because most of these games, it's always, it's not about Alabama winning. It's about, you know, Alabama, how much is Alabama going to win by? Are they going to cover the spread? Are they not going to cover the spread? Uh, what all can go wrong to prevent them from winning big, but you never really were overly concerned about them losing. They lost games. Obviously they've only had two undefeated national championships under Nick Saban, but you never went, went into those games thinking, you know, reasonably uh, that or confidently that they had a real chance to lose the game. Uh, there's been several, uh, you know, in, in recent times. I mean, Texas felt a little iffy, even though I thought that Alabama could make a statement. But this, this Texas A&M squad in College Station, it's a different feel. Alabama certainly can win. Obviously, we had the score predictions today, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about that a little bit. But it's not a situation where you're trying to figure out if Alabama's going to cover a spread or not. It's are they going to win, period. You know, I got to think, after the last few days especially, this Alabama defense, I'm anticipating a very inspired effort from the outset on Saturday afternoon, and I'll tell you why. Not because of even really Anaya Smith and his comments, but so much of the talk has been about A&M's defense starting with a very talented, as we know, defensive front. And I touched on this in the practice watch along uh, a couple nights ago that, oh, well, if you're Freddie Roach, you shouldn't have any trouble motivating your guys this week because they're not even talking about us. They're talking about Walter Nolan. They're talking about Fidel Diggs. They're talking about McKinley Jackson. They're not talking about Jaheim Otis, right? No one's talking about Justin Aboigby or Tim Keenan. So I'm not sure if Freddie has fed those guys some of that this week. I, I think it's a good opportunity to have done it. But really, the defense in general, you know, which still, when we talk about the potential to be elite, when I look at these two defenses as a whole, side by side, okay, I'll give you A&M's front. I'll give you their interior guys, specifically. But at the edge, at inside linebacker, especially if Deontay Lawson were healthy, and certainly in the secondary, I'm taking Alabama at pretty much every other spot. I don't know about you. Yeah, and I mean, home crowd makes a difference. I mean, I understand that that kind of, if these defenses are close, it might tip the scales in favor of Texas A&M, but I completely agree with you. And that's kind of, I touched on that in the piece that I had today over at Bama Online, that we haven't been spending enough time talking about Alabama's defensive front and the problems that it could present Max Johnson. Johnson throughout his entire career, I think he's had close to 400 pass attempts, only I think eight career interceptions. So he doesn't turn the football over a ton. Uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, Saturday could be an opportunity for Alabama to get itself one, maybe even two. Uh, it, but even if it doesn't, it's not always just about generating the turnovers. That can be key. It's avoiding turnovers on offense. That has to happen. Uh, but you can win football games without generating turnovers. It's putting Max Johnson in that Texas A&M offense in, uh, you know, bad situations. And that's really a collective effort. It's a defensive effort. Uh, obviously, if you can score points on offense, that puts pressure on them to respond. 
Uh, you got guys like James Burnup. We saw the importance of him last week against Mississippi State. Uh, Alabama has to punt on its first drive. Pins them on the one yard line, and the next on the next drive, Alabama's getting the ball at the fifty yard line or, or you know close to it. And that was simply because of the sixty seven yard punt that James Burnup had. If you get that kind of collective effort and you put Max Johnson and Texas A and M in some uh, you know rough situations, I think that could bode well for Alabama's chances to win. Yeah, it's it's almost as if I'm anticipating at this point that the matchup that we're not talking enough about is what this game could very well come down to, and that's Alabama's front seven against A&M's offensive line, tight ends, the run game with Le'Veon Moss and the rest of those backs. Uh, it does remain a question mark, though, a serious question mark in terms of Deontay Lawson and his availability. We've heard from Nick Saban. Saban, pretty vague in his comments in relation to both Deontay and Terrence Ferguson, the offensive guard, in that they've been able to practice some this week. Uh, but that typically isn't the kind of ringing endorsement from Nick that leads to us seeing guys on the field on Saturday. Maybe we will. Uh, but if that is, in fact, the case, uh, boy, that start last week, though, that worked together last week. Uh, and Starkville becomes even more valuable uh, when you talk about Jihad Campbell and Trez Marshall and maybe even a sprinkling of a Texan and Kendrick Blackshire this week. Yeah, I think that for you know, Jihad Campbell, I think it was a great confidence-boosting game. Like, he wasn't perfect. Uh, you know, he's still trying to adjust. I, I mean, you know, run fits aren't always there, always doesn't finish the tackle. And, you know, they're, they're, he has his issues at times. But for being a first career start, the fact that you had 14 tackles and an interception, I don't know if that's ever happened in the Nick Saban era. I've, I've found some guys who had 14 or 15 tackles, certainly been some guys that has had 11 or 12 tackles and an interception. Rolanda McLean back in the day was one of them. But nobody as far as that many tackles. And it wasn't like Mississippi State was targeting Jihad Campbell. Like that's something that can certainly happen in a game. And a guy who's racking up tackles, you think he's having a great performance and it's because the opposing offense is trying to exploit that player. Uh, that wasn't really the case. I mean, obviously, the position that he plays is going to be involved a lot as far as you know getting in on some tackles. But I think it was very important for him to be on the road in an environment like you know the Cowbells when the Mississippi State's offense is out there. It's not as big of a deal. It's not a big deal at all compared to you know what the offense has to deal with going into Starkville. But I will say that as far as just handling the environment against an SEC opponent, I think it was crucial for him. Tresman Marshall's been around for a while. He's certainly experienced. That shouldn't be a problem on that front. But uh, Deontay Lawson, if he could play, which you know I don't know if he'll be able to or not, that would certainly provide a big boost. It's not just about playing, though. If he's limited in any sort of way, I think the play of the other inside linebackers you know, kind of prevents, you know, you putting out an 80%, 85% Deontay Lawson because if he's a step slow, that can be the key difference because Texas A&M has some explosive skill players and they're certainly going to try to take advantage of it on Saturday. Yeah, and if they know you have an inside linebacker coming off a lower extremity injury like Deontay's been dealing with, it's not just between the tackles that you have to worry about. Jimbo... Bobby Petrino, these are guys that if you go back over the history of how they run offenses, very good at running backs out of the backfield, not just on checkdowns either. I mean, Jimbo and, and Bobby Petrino, they'll run wheel routes with those backs, and they'll run the rail with those backs and look to hit you vertically in the passing game. And also how they'll go about some things in terms of personnel groupings and formations to get you in some disadvantaged situations with tight ends. Um, you know, that could be a, an issue. Uh, but sure, it'd be great if Deontay uh, can play. But as you alluded to there, you also have to be able to play at a high level in a game like this. And, and maybe Deontay will be able to do that. But again, I think it's a real positive for Alabama that you've been able to invest into Jihad Campbell, especially of late because he's been coming off his own health issue. And then Tresman Marshall with the experience there, uh, that, that's a nice, nice thing to have in your favor if you're the Alabama defense. So we started this whole thing with the defense. I think we may have caught the Alabama fans thinking, oh, they're going to go straight into that offense. They're going to go into this 
seminal moment for Jalen Milrow as the starting quarterback at Alabama and how much weight is going to be on him. Uh, but I think we both know, ideally, it's not going to be all on Jalen Milrow to win the football game. I don't think if it were any other quarterback that Alabama had on the roster, obviously, that would not want to be the approach for uh, the Alabama offensive staff and Nick Saban. So uh, how do you expect Alabama to come out on that side of the ball and maybe try to set the tone? Is it as simple as we're still going to try to get behind this offensive line? We're going to feature these backs. Um or do you think you come out and maybe you go max protect, play action fake early, take a shot at this AM secondary that has given up some explosive plays? Maybe not against teams like Arkansas and Auburn, but go back to that Miami game in week two when Tyler Van Dyke averaged 12 and a half yards per attempt. Yeah, you can kind of look at it. There's some similarities to maybe Alabama playing Texas last year. Like, if you remember going into that game, everybody thought Alabama's going to be able to put consistent pressure. You got Will Anderson, you got Dallas Turner, you got uh, a solid exterior duo of pass rushers. You got some potential there on the interior with Texas having a young offensive line like they did, several true freshmen starting week two of the college football season. You think Alabama's pass rush is going to eat. And so you would think that Texas was going to avoid putting uh, Quinn Ewers in situations like they did early in that game, but they kind of, everybody thought they were going to zig and they decided to zag and just lean into it. And they had some early success and created some momentum that way. Obviously the injury affected things, but they were generating quite a bit of early momentum. I could see Alabama doing something similar and kind of leaning into this fact that, you know, uh, granted at the same time, I do believe that when you, when you look at Texas A&M and Alabama, uh, Alabama would probably prefer that Jalen Milrow be more of a game manager quarterback than maybe his skill set would suggest. A&M's definitely going to have Max Johnson doing as much as it can as far as being playing within that game manager role. You believe in your defense probably against Alabama's offense. Uh, you believe in your run game. They got a pretty good run game, a good stable of running backs, and you got some good weapons You know, in the passing game. So don't put too much on Max Johnson's shoulders uh, don't ask him to be Superman in years past. I mean, Zach Calzada looked like Peyton Manning a couple of years ago, uh, you know, but I don't think that was out by design necessarily out from Texas A&M's perspective. But I think going in, if you're Alabama, it's getting Max Johnson out of that game manager role, like forcing him to be uncomfortable, forcing as much on his shoulders as possible. If I'm Alabama, though, uh, up to this point, I think the quarterback design runs have been limited. We've seen more of them in recent weeks. But in this type of game where you're in a hostile environment, you need to stop trying to force Jalen. You really need to lean into what he does well. They're, they've been doing that and dabbling with it a little bit. I think that there's something as far as the the pass catchers and wanting to keep your weapons involved in the offense. But in this type of game, it's a win however you can. And if I'm Alabama, I'm relying a lot more on Jalen Milrow running the football. But at the same time, early on, though, I can also see them taking some shots. Yeah, you know, I think the difference, too, defensively for Alabama looking at A&M's offense is that you can actually condense that offense with Max Johnson more so at quarterback than you could with Connor Wiegman, who's an absolutely dynamic thrower of the football. Not that Max Johnson can't push the ball down the field somewhat, uh, but he doesn't bring the same energy. Uh, to all areas of the field like Connor Wiegman did or does when he's healthy. So uh, we check in with some of the comments here, and we certainly encourage you to jump in with those. Uh, chances chimed in, Bob, uh, Afro Man Davis, John, Tex Titer, our guy. It's probably a big one for Tex Titer this week, just going by that handle, right? Uh, and Afro Man Davis here in our comments, uh, Clint, says an interception by Terry and Arnold late in the fourth seals it 35-17. Well, that, that, that's a pretty wide spread to seal it, but maybe he's saying, look, it's going to be 35-17. Terry and Arnold makes an interception late in the fourth. But I think the point stands that for this Alabama secondary, especially with Evan Stewart over there, especially with Anaya Smith working in the slot, uh, those guys are all, and including Kool-Aid McKinstry. I think it's going to be similar to Texas in that even Kool-Aid's going to see some some balls come his way. Now, probably not as many as Tarion, who was absolutely barraged in Tuscaloosa by the AM offense a year ago. But 
all hands on deck. And again, an area where this Alabama pass rush can certainly help things. If Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, uh, guys who have, I think, what, a combined, is it eight sacks between them in the last three games, I believe? Uh, big, big number for those guys. But you still got to get some help from the inside, too, with Otis and Keenan and a Boigby and maybe Damon Payne when he's in there. Well, you know, with – with Alabama's pass rush, uh, from a sacks perspective, I think over the last three weeks, Texas A&M has 16 sacks. Alabama has 14, so they're not too far off. On top of that, when you actually look at the disruptive numbers, the, the quarterback pressures, whether they be quarterback hits, quarterback hurries, and sacks, Alabama has 78 over the last three games. Texas A&M sitting at 52. That is a substantial difference. I mean, you're, that's no small thing. And so what that tells you is, even though Texas A&M has gotten home a little bit more, Alabama's right on their heels on that front. And on top of that, they've been a lot more disruptive consistently. And so I think that that's why this this album pass rush can end up having a or make a major difference in this football game. Uh, and really, when you look at the secondary on top of that, you've got some opportunistic playmakers. Now, granted, it's kind of like, you know, you don't care if you're facing, you know, a heavy box when you've got Derrick Henry in the backfield, you're running the football. When you've got, you know, Evan Stewart out there, who's going to be a guy who they move around, you know, in the slot, on the perimeter, do a lot of different things with him, get him in motion, create matchups. You don't really care who's covering him. You're going to throw him the football or try to get as many targets to him as possible. Now, you've got some other playmakers, and Nia Smith, certainly one of them who you're going to manufacture touches for. Moose Muhammad is certainly a guy who's a good receiver in the SEC. So it's not like it's just Evan Stewart, but I, I certainly think that all of Val- – I don't think that A&M's going into this game looking at one player in the secondary in particular and saying we're terrified of this guy. We're going to avoid throwing him at him at all costs because Terry and Arnold's playing great football, Caleb Downs, Malachi Moore. Across the board, You know, there's nobody, one player in particular, that's like that's the guy we can't target. So, yeah, I completely agree with you on that front. Yeah, and when you think about Texas in comparison to A&M, Adonai Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, then you got into Jatavian Sanders at the tight end position. Sark, of course, will throw it to the backs as well. I think there's some similarities personnel-wise when you get into Stewart and Worthy. And I don't know, though, Moose Muhammad was good in Tuscaloosa last season. You look at his numbers to this point, not making a lot of noise. That could change, of course, on Saturday. Uh, but absolutely, A&M has the people around Max Johnson who turned the ball over a couple times last week. He threw a pick six against Arkansas, lost a fumble. Max Johnson, you look at him and you think, this guy isn't going to beat us with his legs, but he's also a guy who's not afraid to tuck it and run. So uh, that's something you have to consider as well this week. Tex Tider checking back in after the comment I made about it being a big one for him. He said, yeah, I need to calm the cult this week at A&M. Kenny Grant here in the comments as we'll get through some of these. I'm a teammate of Max Johnson's dad. He comes from good stock. No arguing that. Jake Johnson and Max. You just don't want too many Johnson and Johnsons if you're Alabama on Saturday between the quarterback and his little brother tight end. But it is, it's a real luxury for AM to be in this position to have a guy like this from LSU previously, where he saw extensive playing time against Alabama. Weekman goes down and you're able to just sort of plug and play. And again, I think there's there's some throws that Max Johnson can't quite make that Connor Weegman can, but running that offense and providing that sort of stabilizing presence after a loss like that of Weegman, yeah, you just that, that's that's as good a situation as you can hope for if you're A M. I mean, how many teams lose their starting quarterback and they bring in a guy who has close to 400 pass attempts, career passing attempts in the SEC? You know, playing for an SEC program. So you're 100 percent right. And and I, you know, Nick Saban during his show tonight, I think he said that he didn't see much difference as far as the way the offense operates with both quarterbacks. There certainly is some nuanced things that are different, but it is a system for a reason. And both of these quarterbacks are able to operate that system at least at a level where you can move the football and win football games. Everybody talks about Bobby Petrino and talks about this offense and the fact that it's scoring a lot of points. It's, you know, we've seen it do some really good things. 
I also want to remind people that Ole Miss, both before Alabama and after Alabama, uh, you know, against LSU and stuff, they they've scored some points and been able to move the football as well. It's just Grant, I understand that it was in Tuscaloosa. That's a little bit of a different situation. You get the crowd involved and things like that. But this Alabama defense is really good. Uh, I don't think we talk about how good it really is. Uh, if if they go in and shut down Texas A&M and, and escape College Station with a, a win, maybe we'll be talking about it a little more. But, you know, like I said, and you've said it also, we focused a lot on this Texas A&M defensive front and what it can, the challenges that it will provide Alabama's offense. But really, I think we need to be looking at the other side of that equation, too, and saying Alabama's defense can really cause Texas A&M some problems. And one thing about that is it's kind of like in the Ole Miss game, uh, you know, in the, especially in the first half, really in the first half. Uh, the crowd was very – the vibe of the entire stadium just felt off. I mean, all the dysfunction on offense, there was frustration mounting, right? And sometimes that frustration c- can carry down to the field because it's just an entire vibe, the entire stadium's feeling that pressure. Uh, if Alabama's defense can do some things to make A&M's offense you know, struggle early, you might start getting some of that. Now, Alabama did a heck of a job of coming out in the second half and doing some things, scoring some points, and kind of getting the crowd back involved and kind of over that. But if Alabama can you know, do some similar things, I could certainly see that playing a factor too. Yeah, there's a lot of uh... – aspects of this game that are fascinating and you know of course we're not going to get the answers we want until about well a little less than 48 hours from now at Kyle Field in College Station. Cunny 035 here in the comments the OL has gotten better over the weeks and I really like the way the D is playing. Yeah as we talked about the D is playing at a pretty high level gave up some run yards rush yards to Mississippi State last week and that was sort of a continuing theme, too, in terms of opponents running on passing downs. If you go back and you watch the Mississippi State game, a lot of the success and credit to their offensive staff. Second and eight, they still ran it. Now, the other side of that is you can say, well, Alabama took control of that game at 14 to nothing early. Um, and so maybe the way Alabama went about its defense helped Mississippi State in those situations. But it's something we've seen other offenses do too. Second and long, third and long. Alabama gets into maybe more pass rush mode and they're able to hit some runs against this defense. So something to keep an eye on with Jimbo and Bobby Petrino this week. Uh, but it should be a lot of fun, no doubt. Let's get to Ron Pruitt real quick here in the comments before we bring our guy Jimmy Stein on with us. Ron says, do we have to get out to about the 40 before we take a play action shot? Alabama has had a tendency to do that in the past. Well, I don't think, Clint, it's just an Alabama thing. You know, you go back and you watch these offenses. Sark, he loves to take shots between the 40s. Uh, Lane, same thing. So it's not just a Tommy Reese thing. Now, both those guys were Alabama offensive coordinators in the past, so maybe that's what Ron's getting at, that – you know, it's a sort of continuation, but I watch a you watch a lot of football. I watch a lot of football. I mean, that's typically where offenses take shots is down in distance out around the 40, 45 midfield. Well, you can almost certainly guarantee that. Uh, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I would, if I had to guess, I would say somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 80% of the time after a turnover, if you're anywhere close to midfield, it's shot on first, uh, first down on that ensuing drive. So, uh, that is something that absolutely offensive coordinators have always preferred to do because the the risk reward. Uh, obviously, you know if you end up having you know play action, trying to take something deep, that's sort of long developing stuff. If you end up getting sacked, you're not backed up, and now you're not putting your defense in a bad situation. If you're around, you know midfield, if you take that sack or the stall, the drive ends up stalling out. You punt the ball, you put the opposing offense super deep in their own territory, and you hope you can get the football back in that same range, which is why I think that a lot of coaches are willing to take those shots the closer you get. But, yeah, that is something uh, – I think Alabama will have some things dialed up. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they go a little bit more vanilla. But I will be curious to see not only how uh, Alabama attacks Texas A&M's defense, but also the other side as well because I think that, you know, that um, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if A&M was feeling rather confident in their defensive front's ability to affect the quarterback and the offense in general, 
without having to be too creative or doing too much. You know, Georgia kind of fell into that trap a little bit in the SEC championship game a couple of years ago with that offensive line and the way it had struggled, the first-round talent all up front defensively. They didn't do anything very exotic, or, or they, they pretty much thought our front can beat their front without doing a ton, and they ended up paying for it. I'll be curious to see if A&M takes a similar approach. Yeah, you know, there's also that thought that you take shots when you're backed up maybe off your own goal line. And that's been a, a situation we've seen in the past. I think more and more teams, though, more and more offenses are doing that in spring games because we saw Alabama do it in the 8A game back in April. And the defense brought Malachi Moore on a simulated pressure, didn't pick it up, gets Sick. into the face of Jalen Milrow, who throws a dying quail there in the middle of the field to Christian Story that gets returned inside the five. That's probably one after that scrimmage you say, eh, I don't know. I don't know if we want to take a shot there. And, you know, something else with field position, fake punts too. I mean, you can almost set your watch by those two, out around the 40, out around midfield. You're going to see some of that. Hey, let's bring in Jimmy Stein, our colleague there at BamaOnline.com. There he is. Hey, guys. Hey, what's going on, my man? You doing all right this evening? What are you watching? I've got uh, – I, I meant to ask you guys. I know we've got NFL football. And, by the way, uh, sad news from the NFL is Dick Buckus passes away at the age of 80. Probably resonates more with old heads like Jimmy and myself. <laughs> but it uh, seems appropriate, too, though, that the that the Bears are playing tonight. You know, That's right. One of those things that just sort of aligns. But um, I got uh, I got LaTeX Western Kentucky on. That's the really? kind of night. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's uh, when you're desperate for some college football. Yeah. We started out with uh, Sam Houston and Liberty, but uh, then moved to uh, the NFL in hopes that uh, Taylor Swift will be there. But so far, she's a big no show. Oh, wow. No Taylor Swift. Uh, you sound like Mike Patrick with Britney Spears, that Arkansas <laughs> game. Wasn't it? Well, or no, it's Georgia. It was the Georgia. Slightly game more in relevant. 2007. Yeah. That one, Slightly uh, more relevant to uh, the NFL discussion as, uh, as, as Taylor bit. and her tremendous impact on uh, on the game. No, we uh, we we went NFL here in this uh, household uh, after seven fifteen. But uh, Louisiana taking Western Kentucky, I believe. Travis, I saw the score. Uh, Western Kentucky's up. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You don't just go into Ruston, Louisiana, <laughs> and punk the Bulldogs, right. but the Hilltoppers <laughs> are currently in the process of doing that, apparently. But Jimmy, uh, Clint, myself, we've been talking, obviously, a lot about the matchups for this game on Saturday in College Station. And uh, one of the things we hit on early is just, and we both are of the, the stance, and there is just, in the past, when there's been almost too much talk about an Alabama opponent, you could almost predict what was coming. I don't know if I feel as comfortable predicting that sort of outcome this time around. Uh, and I know Nick Saban is a, a guy who talks about external factors and kind of keeping the noise down. But, guy, it's reached the point here where you almost think, is this being presented to this Alabama team? You know, this is a point where no one's really talking about you all that much. That's right. Uh, it's You know, anytime Alabama is favored by one and a half points, uh, it really feels like Alabama's a significant underdog because it has been so rare – that Alabama's only been favored by a point and a half or in, in less than a touchdown is, is very rare, even on the road. So that's new territory, I think, for for Alabama fans, uh, certainly over the last few years. And, and I think that that line is reflective of what the talk has been. It's all been about A&M. Clint wrote a great piece about their defensive line and, and how it's a, a mismatch or a, 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 appears to be a mismatch for our Offensive line, the Alabama offensive line that has struggled uh, to a degree. Uh, the AM defensive line is extremely impressive. I think there's a lot of anxiety, to use one of Nick Saban's terms, uh, for, for Alabama fans. And, of course, look, it, it's a different quarterback situation. It's not only a different quarterback in the sense that, you know, the last time he rolled into College Station, you had Bryce Young, who, who not only is one of the all-time Alabama greats, he won a Heisman Trophy that season. When, uh, when Alabama rolled in there in 2021. Now you've got not only a different quarterback, but, you know, he, he's very young in terms of experience on the field. He's the least experienced quarterback in the entire SEC that's starting games. And uh, he's replacing 
Bryce Young, a Heisman winner who was replacing Mac Jones, a first-round pick, who was replacing Tua, a first-round pick, who was replacing Jalen Hurts, a second-round pick, and a runner-up on the Heisman. Uh, that It's just different for Alabama fans right now. I think they don't have the same margin for error maybe they used to have. And now you're rolling into a place where you know the defense is good. You know this team plays you well. And they, they have a quarterback making his, I think, is his 18th start uh, as, as a collegian. And, uh, and, and Jalen's only making his sixth. So there, there's a lot of reasons to be nervous and anxious and worried about this game. Yet, who's stalking the Alabama sideline? Nick Saban. And, and that, that should be what should serve to calm the masses. So you talk about this line. Is that just to you guys, Clint, starting with you, is that directly attributable to the quarterback situation or the perception of the quarterback situation at Alabama? I mean, is that really where it starts? Because Jimmy just outlined, you know, going from Bryce Young to a very inexperienced guy in Jalen Milrow. I think it's a it's a three-part effect that's causing it. It's the fact that Texas A&M has a really good defensive front. You're going against an offensive line that struggled in pass protection, and you've got a quarterback that's taking unnecessary sacks when he's under pressure. Kind of, it doesn't even really, sometimes it's not even the offensive line. It's him, you know, uh, rolling into pressure when he really doesn't need to. Uh, and then on top of that, it's also throwing in the fact that it's on the road. And so this combination effect of all those three factors, it's like that, that's why there's so many people picking Texas A&M because that's a really bad combination if you're Alabama. So they've got to do whatever they can to overcome that, limit the impact that that has on the game. That's going to be tough to do. You've got to have a lot of early down success, keep Texas A&M off, of, off balance as much as possible. Uh, defense has to be, you know, if you can put your offense in favorable field conditions, uh, you know, with, you know, some turnovers or, you know, getting a, a big time sack when it's first, you know, you know, first and, and 10 from the 25 yard line, get a, you know, seven, eight yard sack, got to kind of punt it deep a little bit. And then you get yourself starting on like the 35, 40 yard line, 45 yard line, things like that. Those are the kind of situations that you want to try to put your offense in if you can. But I would say that that's probably, you know, that kind of the, the defensive line, the offensive line, the quarterback, and then you throw home crowd into it. That's really what everybody's looking at, in my opinion. Jimmy, it seems like, again, so much of the talk this week has been about matchups that are advantageous to Texas A&M. So give me one that you look at. Maybe it's those edge guys against those A&M offensive tackles. Maybe it's even in the secondary, even with A&M's talent at wide receiver. So make make the Alabama fans feel better about at least one matchup that you like (laughs) for Alabama. And 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 other than the head coaches. Okay, yeah, I'll even give you two players and personnel go. Yeah, I'll give you two. And since since uh, we got a little doom and gloom in my, in my last little uh, speech there, but uh, two areas that Alabama's got an advantage, I think, are one is extremely vital in any close game, and and I'm sure everybody saw on on BOL today how close all, all of us, the whole staff, picked <laughs> this game. It's and the, and the scores were all remarkably similar. And, and again, we well, don't share throw those. Throw a hat over them, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. We we don't share those with each other prior. So it, except it's for Charlie, crazy. Charlie got wild, decided to go sixty five point. Totally. Yeah, Charlie went like back to the Manzel AJ matchups. He did. Yeah. Charlie went arena ball. Charlie <laughs> went arena ball on us. Yeah. With his pick. But uh the rest of them were close and Charlie did pick a close game. But the point being in a close game that's down to the wire 60 minute game, it's often decided by special teams and as we know Alabama's got the best kicker punter duo in the country. Uh I think uh Alabama fans would be re- very confident with uh, Will Reichard getting multiple attempts in this game, maybe even one at the end. I think you'd feel pretty good about it. And, of course, uh, Burnup has uh, developed into one of the best punters in the sport, and uh, he can flip the field and force A&M to traverse the length of the field. So I love Alabama's kicking in this game because so many close games, it just comes down to special teams. But one other X's and O's area where I feel Alabama has an advantage is, is Alabama's wide receivers. We haven't talked about them very much lately, only 12 pass attempts last week and the leading target, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the guy that led the team in targets as a tight end. Jermaine Burton didn't play much, but Burton's had a good year. Isaiah Bond has, has proven to be a really good player. 
I think Benson and, and Prentice are, are guys that can make plays. I, I think this Alabama receiver core is good. It's better than people know. And I think they can make plays against this AM secondary. I, I, I like that matchup for Alabama, Alabama's receivers versus their secondary. It's just going to be a little dependent on the offensive line, giving Milrow enough time for plays to develop down the field. And uh, Milrow has shown that he can hit those those receivers downfield. So I sort of like Alabama in this game to maybe get a cheap score or two. And I like them to win the kicking game. And you add those two things together, could have a good inning. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the, the, the kicking game, I think the punting game is where you could see a non-offensive touchdown. And not just in returns because of Kuwait and Anaya Smith for both these teams. You could see a block. Um, there, there's some different things that could happen. You saw it the last time Alabama went to AM, blocked a punt for a touchdown. Um, I, I guess my concern with Burnup right now is he might be punting the ball too damn good. Because I watched Anaya Smith last week, a couple times at Arkansas, out punted its coverage. He really made them play. So it's not just the specialist. It's these coverage and return unit um, contributors. You know, the linebackers, the safeties, the running backs, the wide receivers, corners that make up these coverage and return units uh, that have to be really, really good, I think, in that area on Saturday. Well, with that, Clint Lamb, you've been a huge help, as usual. We always enjoy our time here with you. We're going to let you move on, maybe get to that, get back to that guitar back there. We talked about that before, and uh, maybe. Probably some Loki in my near future. (laughs) Probably not something that you guys are very interested in, but, uh, you know, I I, I think that's coming. I think that's next on the docket. Okay. Well, you do you, and, and we always appreciate you here. On Thursday Night Tide, appreciate all your great work with us there at BamaOnline.com, and Look forward to catching up again next week. Absolutely, fellas. Good talking to you boys, and hopefully we uh, have something fun to talk about next week. Yeah. Have a good weekend, Clint. We'll talk soon. See you, boys. Off he goes, Clint Lamb. We're back, and Jimmy, as we conclude the latest edition of Thursday Night Mm -hmm. Tide here in the next 15 minutes or so, um, what we were going to get into was specific to Jalen Milrow and the importance of this start. And I know – Talked yep. about this with Charlie Potter yesterday here on our YouTube channel. It's like we have this conversation almost every week in relation to Jalen. Right. I'm of the belief that short term, regardless of what happens pretty much on Saturday, and especially if he's healthy coming out of the game, I totally expect that even if Alabama loses this game, Jalen Milrow is going to be back out there against Arkansas the next week. Now, how it could impact him big picture wise, it's all a part of the big bowl or pot of soup that everything goes into with evaluations and understanding that there is some confidence about Dylan Lonergan. There is some anticipation in regards to Julian Sayan coming in right. as the number one quarterback for the 2024 cycle. Where do you kind of stand on all that with Jalen? I think uh, Jalen, I agree with you 100% that in the short term, Jalen Milrow is fine. Uh, I think it would take more than one poor performance to change Alabama's starting quarterback situation in 2023. I think he's sort of locked that up pending multiple bad starts. And regardless of what happens in college station, I, I fully expect him to be the starting quarterback against Arkansas. I think where it gets interesting because reportedly the staff is very high on Lonergan and Julian saying not only coming in with, you know, five stars attached to his name, but coming in with the idea that he's sort of polished and mature and maybe a guy who could play quickly because not all of them can even not all of the five stars are, are capable of playing quickly. Maybe saying is so keeping that in context, the idea that's out there for Jalen is, what about monster performances? What if Jalen would Jalen change the long-term forecast for Jalen Milrow at Alabama with a monster performance even this weekend? I think the answer to that is yes. I, I think there's a lot to be gained uh, for Jalen with a monster game. Now I'm not talking about, you know, he was very efficient in Starkville. That was fine. The 10 of 12, 
making better decisions, being a little more decisive, far from perfect, still with some growing pains. We're talking about a guy only making his sixth start in a college career this weekend at College Station. But I do think that a monster performance on the road against a perceived very good defense Jalen could be quarterback at Alabama for 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 quite a while if uh, if he starts putting some monster performances uh, on the road against good teams on the ledger. Yeah, and we talk about passes and thresholds for number of pass attempts for Jalen in this game. I don't think twelve is going to do it this week <laughs> against this A and M team. Um, but the most important passes are the ones that you maybe worry about the most right now are coming from the center to the quarterback on the shotgun snap. So uh, there's a lot more to it than just Jalen, as we know. Uh, You talked a little bit earlier about Alabama's receivers. And while there hasn't been, you know, Alabama right now doesn't have a receiver in the top 28 receivers in the SEC in receiving yards per game. But the other side of that is when you look at yards per catch, they've got five guys right now that are 15 plus. So they've been getting explosive plays, and they've been getting them from more than one guy. So uh, that's something that, again, I think for Alabama especially, explosive play potential in this game is real on Saturday. You know, there used to be a commercial. I'm sort of butchering this. It it had to do with like most interesting man in the world uh, commercials that used to run over a decade ago or when when me and you were younger, which as we know (laughs) is a long time ago. And it had something to do with – it's kind of sounded like this, and it's where it fits that Alabama offense. That we don't throw the ball to the receivers much, Dosecki, but yeah. when we do, yeah, we throw for touchdowns. And, 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 and it's, it, yeah, and and that's the way that it's worked with that receiving crew. Alabama just twelve attempts last week. There haven't been a ton of pass attempts to outside receivers going back to game one. When you add it all up, I think I saw something earlier today, Travis, at Alabama's near dead last in FBS football in terms of forward passes completed is ranks way low. And right. it's, it, it's, it's not that Alabama hasn't been efficient with it. They are, it, it's been an efficient passing attack and there's been lots of big plays downfield. The percentage of success is good when they try it, when they do it, uh, there just hasn't been a lot of it. Uh, now, when would that change? It would change if Alabama got behind. Uh, it might change if Alabama has no success on the ground against an AM front and they've got to throw the ball more. But where Alabama fans should feel pretty good, Travis, is when they've done it, it looks pretty good. And we talk so much about this AM front, and I get it. It's legit, man. 30 tackles for loss in the last two games for AM. Ridiculous. So, with all that in mind, how the hell did Alabama run for 288 last year? I mean, I know the easy answer to that, Jameer Gibbs. Um, but it, it wasn't like it was a struggle uh, in what he right. did uh, in that game last year. I, I, I keep kind of wanting to sort of understand what has changed. One of the answers I got was that. A&M was so poor at inside linebacker, it almost didn't matter what happened. But if you're stout enough up front, you you can play a lot of people at inside linebacker and they can get by. And that was that was the Jameer Gibbs season highlight tape in some ways in that game against A&M last year. Yeah, it really was. And, you know, I, what way I chalked it up last year, Travis, this is probably a little wrong, but X's and O's wise – I think particularly when Milrow was new, uh, teams were extremely focused on spying on Jalen Milrow. They they were assigning uh, an inside linebacker to Jalen and telling that inside linebacker, look, this kid is not going to throw the ball. He's going to run the ball and he's going to run it himself. So you spy Milrow and you make sure that he doesn't hurt us in the run game as badly as he could. And when that happens – the, uh, the opposition is taking a run-stuffing linebacker basically off the field and, and out of the mix in terms of defending the running back from inside runs. This guy's so focused on Milrow, he's, he's not looking at Gibbs. He's looking at Jalen Milrow, and, and I think that's why it's not a coincidence that Gibbs' biggest games were when Milrow was the quarterback in 2022. It's because the other team was committing a spy to Milrow, and it gave Gibbs a lot more room. That. 
that's my theory or that's what I'm going with. But frankly, the number is so significant, Travis, that I'm not sure that that explains it enough. No, uh, I, I, just I, think th- I think it's it could. part of it. I think it could at least in large part because a year ago, Alabama's bread and butter with Gibbs was the outside zone. So you would get him working the perimeter. And if you are keeping a linebacker over here, you know, away from the play, it's not like running inside zone and keeping a guy in there with Jalen. You're running away from that. And now you're minus an inside linebacker. That absolutely could play into it. And it makes me think, even though this offense, it seems like it's been more between the tackles oriented than it was a year ago, maybe we see more of that and, and try to attract that same type of attention. And then, you know, even if Jalen keeps it a couple times and doesn't go for explosive chunks, uh, you will have accomplished something perhaps important. Now, that doesn't necessarily suit, I don't think, the style of, say, Roy Dell Williams, but we saw Jace McClellan last year. Texas was an outside zone that he popped for 80, 81. Um, maybe that's a good thing for Jace on Saturday if, if that's more of the approach, at least more of a mix to go along with what we've seen to this point. So uh, the Alabama defense, we kind of switched back to that. Uh, if I give you an over-under for Texas A&M rushing yards, uh, sure. understanding that a year ago with Devon Achan, it was A-Chain last year, it's Achan now apparently, they did not rush for more than, I don't think, 100 yards in Tuscaloosa. So let's say I put it at 110 and a half, just throwing a number out there. You think A&M goes over that Saturday? I mean, after seeing Mississippi State, do what it did maybe or I don't uh I don't I, I think you know in terms of how I see the game playing out uh I, I don't think AM's gonna rush for over 110. Good oh, the bad news I'm I'm not sure Alabama is either <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think AM's gonna have a ton of success on the ground. I think they'll have some success but uh I, I'm anticipating the offense that, that, that we see, the offense that that produces points or produces drives that end in field goals, and I think we're going to see a, several field goals. Uh, I, I see that mostly through the air for both teams, uh, as I think both teams will just really commit to stopping the run uh, and forcing Jalen Milrow to beat you with his arm, forcing Max Johnson to beat you with his arm. Uh, and, and I would go under on that on that AM, but just in terms of a general principle, I, I don't think either team is going to have a ton of success on the ground Saturday. I think the front sevens are just too good. Yeah, I think both these kickers have already made 11 field goals. Obviously, Will's 11 for 11, but AM's attempted 15. And then you go look at red zone conversion rate as far as touchdowns are concerned. Neither of these teams are anywhere close to the top of the SEC. So it's kind of a good news, bad news, right? You got these kickers. They're obviously capable, uh, but touchdown conversion rate in a game like this, you're right. I think there's going to be four or five, maybe six field goals between these two teams, Uh, but that's going to make who can actually convert Convert. when they have opportunities all the more precious. One missed field goal by either team is going to be huge. I think like exactly like to converting your field goal opportunities because those may be your more consistent opportunities to score. Uh, I, I think both teams, when they get in the end zone, Travis, I'm sort of imagining it big plays, both sides, Max Johnson to Noah Thomas or Moose Muhammad or Anaya Smith and Jalen Milrow to Isaiah Bond or Jermaine Burton or Amari Nyblack. Mm-hmm. Uh, big plays resulting in touchdowns drives that die at the 30 uh, that, that, that there needs to be long field goals for, for either team to score. Yeah. You're a big recruiting guy. I've been in it forever as well. So man, when you look at this Alabama team for Saturday, uh, big game for a lot of Texans or the Texans on this roster. I mean, Jalen, obviously, but you could see Jalen Hale at the wide receiver position, Jace McClellan, Kendrick Blackshire. Um, they, these are some of the guys that could really go a long way in determining that outcome. And you know they don't want to get Texas two-stepped after already losing <laughs> to the Longhorn. 
Well, one good thing about, about, you know, the recruiting thing, you know, Alabama fans that follow recruiting and everyone that's a subscriber to Bama online get, uh, understands uh, at BOL how well recruiting is covered there. That's why all the Alabama fans listening, do you know why you can name all the Texas A&M defensive linemen? You can name them all. You couldn't name them at Mississippi State other than maybe Pickering. Uh, you can't name them at Arkansas. Try to name the Tennessee defensive linemen right now. You can't. But you know who you can name? Shamar Turner, McKinley, uh, McKinley Jackson, Nolan. Walter Nolan, LT Oberton. You know why you can name them? Because Alabama recruited those guys hard. Yeah. And uh, they were high priorities for Alabama. And they all ended up at A&M. And, uh, and, and now they're all proving that uh, most of them were, were worthy of uh, the recruiting hype. That, that's an that's a outstanding front that A&M has. And uh, Alabama fans are all too familiar. That said – Alabama's going to have a few guys that Texas A&M recruiting fans, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember Jalen Hale. <laughs> you know, I remember Blackshire, McClellan, maybe even Jam Miller makes a big play yeah. uh, uh, Saturday in front of his uh, his home state crowd. Uh, both these teams have a lot of success on the recruiting trail. Absolutely. Going to be a lot of fun. I mean, you're, you've already told us that Riker's going to win it with a field goal at the gun, so, right? I mean – we, we don't we don't need to tune in. I did. Can, I, that was we can too spare spe- ourselves that. <laughs> that 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 prediction was too specific. But but really, my larger point is, I see this game being decided by one play. I, mm-hmm. I think one play late in the game decides it. It just might be Alabama's turn, and uh, because A and M won this on a on a walk off field goal last time around. But you know, the last time he was in Texas, Will Reichard uh, won won the game in Austin. And uh, Reichard could do it. Uh, the, the Texas two-step, uh, his, his second, his second uh, game-winning kick in, in that state. So that's what uh, I'm predicting. But really, that was just a message that hey, guys, this is going to come down to one play at the end. Yeah, you talk about every kick being important, and it wasn't a great game for Will against A&M last year. But you know what? The 50-yarder he made early in the game. It looked big at the end when A&M needed to get in the end zone and couldn't just kick it. If he had gone over. He missed yep. two, but if he had gone over, it's probably a different outcome. Maybe a second straight year that AM wins it with a kick. Well, Jimmy, as always, a lot of fun catching up with you here on Thursday Night Tide. Appreciate you and Clint and everyone who checked in, too. It's been a lot of fun. We uh, we overcame some adversity, so that's <laughs> that's good for us, even at our advanced ages. We're maybe a little more poised and calm than we would have been 30 years ago, but uh, all's well that ends well. And again, Jimmy, uh, have a great weekend. I look forward to doing this again next week. Hey, hopefully we'll have a a very celebratory show next uh, Thursday. We hope so. Yeah, no doubt about it. So for Jimmy Stein, Clint Lamb, and for you as well, contributing to the show, we certainly appreciate that. Travis Schreier, hoping you have a great weekend. And until next time on the YouTube home for BamaOnline.com. So long, everybody.